Good morning, City Hill. Great to see all your smiling faces. Friday night was serve team celebration. Anybody have some fun that night? It was a great time. It was a great time. My heart is full of joy this morning. You know, there's lots of problems in the world, but my heart is full of joy. Can you have joy in the middle of challenges? That's the whole definition of joy, isn't it? Happiness comes and goes, but joy is something that God can put in our heart even when we're walking through the battle. And I was just thinking about the joy that I have this morning. And one of the reasons would be because Friday night we get, had a chance to give thanks. And thanks always starts with giving thanks to the Father. We always begin by thanking God. Everything that happens in life, the good things in life, the people in your life, we give thanks to the Father. But we also had time of thanking each other for serving each other, for serving our kids, for serving in the church. We had a chance to give thanks. And here's the key. When you give thanks, you get joy. You got nothing out. That's a good intro take home. When you give thanks, when you begin to thank people in your life, the result is you give thanks, but you get joy. And I just pray that in the abundant life that God has for us, that we would be grateful, thankful people. And don't wait till somebody does something supernatural, something crazy. They, you know, just somebody who serves you, somebody who takes care of your kids, somebody who is kind to you. Let's be people who are people of gratitude. And so I'm thankful as well for the illusionist that came in. A man named Brady, man that loves the Lord. He's a student at seminary out in California. And he did some things that just blew my mind. I mean, I was thinking, Ron Mark, you know, you know, he chose Ron. Of course he chose Ron. Ron just has a way of saying, choose me, choose me. And he, and he chose Ron, and he took Ron, Ron took out a $5 bill out of his pocket, wrote Ron Mark in a big marker, and they talked a little bit, and I don't know what, I, and then they went over to the back to the drum station, took a bag, we had a lemon in it, cut the lemon in half, and pulled Ron's $5 bill out of the middle of the lemon. And I go, that can't happen. That's impossible. I mean, you know, Ron's got this soaked Ron Mark signed dollar, $5 bill. It's great. And as I thought about those kind of things that make your mind go, that can't happen. It made me think about faith. See, what Brady did was an illusion. There was no magic here. There was illusion, sleight of hand, dis distraction here while something was happening there. And Brady would just had a way of making the impossible happen. But I thought about our faith and I thought, you know, it's a very different thing. What Brady did was a counterfeit. It was fake. It was fun. But there is a God with the real deal, the genuine article, and he challenges us to think outside of our box. That we, you know, I so much like a world that's neat and tidy that I can figure out. But in faith, it's trusting God for what we cannot see. It's believing God for the things that are outside of the ways that we calculate. And God can do things for us that we've never imagined. And so I, my heart and prayer for me and for you is that we would experience the power of God, that we would see God and trust God for miracles, trust God for healing of relationships that are broken, 
And we would see God speaking to us and telling us things that, um, that we wouldn't know outside of the Spirit of God in their life. Let's believe in a miracle-working God. Amen? Amen. And I'm thankful for the good people of our church who uh, run our coffee shop, guys back there. We're thankful for them, right? And I'm thankful for these people that would serve me a cup of coffee on a, uh, here on a Sunday morning. They take care of their pastor. I appreciate that. You know, coffee's just a, how many of you like coffee? Love the fellowship. It's really not about the coffee. It's about the fellowship. And what kind of coffee is this, Kurt? It's I'll fly away coffee? What, what kind of? Whoa. 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 Strange coffee here. Let's pray as we get going this morning. Father, I thank you for the joy and the fun and the fellowship and the love and that, God, you make us into your family. Father, in the, Lord, I'm just sensing this of your spirit this morning, in the pain and the hurt and the struggles that so many people carry, God, I pray by the power of your spirit that you'd give us joy. And Father, somehow you say it doesn't make sense, but Lord, you put joy in our hearts as we set our hearts to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. This summer we're going through a series called what makes a disciple? What makes a disciple? It's a key element of what God calls us to do and to be at City Hill. It's not about attending church. It's not about doing a list of things that make you a nice Christian. It's about following Jesus and being a disciple of Christ. What makes a disciple? And in the statement, in our vision statement, we have a, one of the phrases is where disciples of Jesus are made. Someone asked me a great question. They said, well, why the word where? Are we focusing on this building? Disciples are made in this building. Well, I pray disciples are being formed in this building, but the where is not the building. The where is the who. The where really is you. The newsboys have a song it says, let's say, get this right. It says, somebody want to quote that to me? <laughs> wherever, you, wherever we go, that's where the party's at. Well, there you go. From the rock and roller over there. Wherever we go, that's where the party's at. Well, I want to just adjust that a minute and say, wherever you go, that's where the church is at. Where? Wherever you go, that's the church of Jesus Christ. And wherever you go, that's where disciples are made. Not the building, but you. Wherever we go as disciples of Christ, that's where discipleship is, being, is taking place. So when Paul is driving his lift at midnight last night, he's ministering the gospel to someone who's in need in his car. We take the gospel out not just out from this building, but out into the marketplace. So a disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ. A follower of Jesus Christ, not a church attender, a follower of Jesus Christ. We talked about that when Jesus says, follow me. 
And I tell you what, if you really grow as a follower of Christ, it means that the Spirit will be speaking to you. And he will ask things of you that you'll go, really? Is that really you, God? Are you really asking me to do that? And you learn to hear the voice and to follow Jesus. And I will tell you, life will be a little messier. We've got to get over our love affair with a clean, ordered life. Take a look at the life of Christ. It wasn't clean and ordered. But he was following the will and direction of the Father. And as we're a follower of Jesus, our lives will look more like his lives and we'll take risks and we'll step out and we'll do things that will be a little scary. I'd swear, if you ever say to me, well, my life as a Christian is just boring. I will say, you are not following Jesus. Because if you're following, you may be crazy, it may be out of control, you may be, oh man, I messed that up, good. But it won't be boring. Because Christ will ask things of you that will scare you. But it will also bring you the abundant life that we so desperately need and want. Followers of Christ... Secondly, you have hearts to obey his command. When Christ says, do this, what's your heart attitude? What's your heart response when you hear that direction of the Lord? Is your heart response, got to protect myself, not sure about it, or is your heart, Lord, if you speak, choose me? Now, I've heard people like in missions where you know, there's a call of God to missions and the person's answer was, here am I. Send my brother Brian. <laughs> the, the sense of you hear it, but not me, Lord. Hearts to obey that say, here I am. Let me go. Thirdly, we talked about a disciple of Christ is one who has given everything to the Lord. The, the Lord is Lord of all of your life. All, 100%, everything which part of that means your money. We're going to talk about finances. That all of our money comes under the lordship of Christ. Therefore, what you buy, it's not an issue of tithing. It's an issue of everything. That you say, everything, Lord, is yours. How would you have me spend my time? How would you have me spend my money? How would you have me use what you have gifted and given to me? part of being a disciple of Christ. And this morning, my message is that a disciple of Jesus is a servant. A disciple of Jesus is a servant. Now you see, human nature, and as we, if you can open your Bibles to John chapter 13, we'll get there in a moment. But human nature has not changed very much. In fact, maybe not at all over centuries. There's three major temptations. If you look through the scriptures, three major temptations that take us down, that take people down, where Satan wants to attack the lives of everyone. One of those is money. The three, of course, are money, sex, and power. One of those are money, that money and all that's around that. Now, money is not bad. Praise the Lord. We need money. We need money to live, to eat, for our home. God never said money was bad, but the love of money, that where money and the service to money becomes more important than your service and love of God, that's where the problem comes. 
Money is one way that takes down many a person, distracts us from the things that God would have for us. Sex. Man, a lot of, how many great men and women? I mean, Mark Spencer, who's a friend of mine, one of our apostolic oversight, says he's counseling 26 leaders who have fallen into sin, most of those sexual sin. Just breaks my heart that somehow Satan's able to use what God has as a gift to creation and used it for destruction. But then the issue of power. Power is the desire to control others, that desire to be above others, a desire to somehow make your own name great. And you know, there's a lot of people that strive to be leaders. And I just ask the question, why? Ask, why does that person want to be leader? I was just reading the news and in the Democrat Party, I, I believe there's 23 candidates for president for the year 2020. And my question is, why would anybody want to be president? I mean, really, how many problems do you think you have today? Try being president of the United States. And yet there's a long line of people who are saying, it's me. I'm that person. And I just ask the question, what's inside? I, I remember reading a story about a good leader, just won't name but a great guy, and they said he'll never make a good president because he's balanced, he, love, he loves his family, he, and they went through all these wonderful things, said, so he could never be president because you have to be a little bit insane. <laughs> all right, I get that. Um, and I just go, what is it somewhere, you know, the word, I want to change the world, I want my life to be significant, but somewhere in there is this insatiable need for power, to be the most powerful man in the world, to be the most powerful woman in the world, that quest for power. And you might say, well, the pay is better. There's some good perks that come along with, with leadership, like, you know, I suppose if you're president, you get to fly in Air Force One. That'd be kind of cool. Um, but Bottom line, there is a quest for power in many people that, is, that can bring great destruction to their lives. And I think this way of thinking has been true for humanity for well, forever. This is the way that, there, that we've been made and the areas that are temptations in our lives. And it was true in Jesus' day. Kings had the power to declare war. Governors had the power over life and death as judges. The Pharisees, they would walk along in their long robes and receive the honor and the adulation of the masses. And they wanted that ego-forming power. And then Jesus shows up. In the middle of all of that, Jesus shows up. I just want to say that you know, when Jesus shows up, everything changes. In your life, in your marriage, in your family, in your work, when you're facing that challenge, when life has hit a wall, let's just invite Jesus in. Say, Jesus, what are you saying to us? Jesus, what do you have for me? Jesus, we need you. Every day, honestly, today, every day when I get up to preach, every single day I go, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I can get up there and fill some time. 
But Jesus, for anybody's life to be changed, somehow these words that I speak have got to drop by your spirit into hearts. And by your spirit, lives can be transformed. Jesus, I need you. It's a great prayer to have on your lips in any part of life, in any, any challenge you're facing. And Jesus shows up and he turns the world upside down. He takes his whole concept of leadership and he takes it and he just, he stands it on its head. And the world looks different upside down, doesn't it? You're kind of going, you're trying to figure how to fly. It's like everybody's head's kind of turn and figure, because, and Jesus did that with the issue of leadership and service. Turn the world upside down. John chapter 13, I want to read this for us this morning. Verse, beginning with verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he'd come from God and was going back to God, arose from supper. He laid aside his outer garment and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a clean basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I don't wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except his feet, but it's completely clean. And you're clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. When he'd washed their feet and put, an in, and put on his outer garments, he resumed his place and said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. John chapter 13. Returning to verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. In order to serve, we need to know who we are. In order to serve, we need to be secure in our identity in Christ. See, Jesus knew who he was. Jesus understood that he was the Messiah of the world. Jesus was absolutely secure, certain in that he was the savior of the world and that all power, I mean, all power of the universe had been given to him, that he was a divine son of God and Jesus knew that. And because he was so convinced of the truth of who he was, he didn't have to prove anything to anyone. I want to say that again. He knew who he was, so he didn't have to prove it to anybody. Whether they believed it or not, Jesus knew the truth. 
Jesus didn't have to act great because he was great. He didn't have to protect the position of authority because he had all authority. And nothing or no one or no situation could take that away from him. And because he knew who he was in God as the Savior of the world, he was free to serve. When I get that, when you know who you are in Christ, serving does not belittle you. In fact, it actually speaks of God in you that you can stop and serve. And Jesus, being the greatest of all, confident in his Messiahship, confident in his divinity, therefore could stop. And with love, he could serve. In order to serve, we must know our identity in God. And when you know that, nothing, your your title is not at risk, your job, what others think, that does not define who you are. So let me just make this personal this morning. I am the lead pastor of City Hill Church. Sometimes people say, hey, Pastor Kent. Okay, there you go. That is my calling at this season in life. I believe it is God's calling to me at this season of life. But that is not who I am. That is not my identity. If I were to resign today, which is not... A prelim to resignation, thank you, hallelujah. That's not in the plans at this point. If I were to resign, if I were to be fired, God forbid, would there be pain? Sure, all that. But would it, I, is my identity in that? No. Because I am a son of God. He died for me. Christ died for me. I am loved by God Almighty in this church, nor any person it would have changed my, my position, my job, yeah. But it would not change my identity because that's not who I am. And when we understand who we are in Christ, we are not at risk, and therefore, we can serve. We can serve everyone. In fact, we have that desire to serve because we're secure in our identity in Christ. And Jesus knowing the Father had given all things to his hand, that he'd come from God and was going back to God. So he's like, whoa, I know who I am. He arose from supper and he served. Just picture Jesus for a moment. Here you have the Messiah among you having dinner. And Jesus, totally secure, he removes his garment. I was looking at that. I said, Lord, what do you, what do you, why did he remove his garment? He could have washed feet fully clothed, but he took off his outer garment and he wrapped a towel around himself. And I, I thought back to Adam and Eve. When Adam, when sin entered the world, what did Adam do? He hid. He put on clothing. He tried to protect himself through some form of outer shield. And Jesus, the sinless Lamb of God, at a moment where he's getting ready for crucifixion. You know, the world is coming to this moment, this apex. He takes off his outer garment. He makes himself vulnerable. I thought of illustrating that by taking off my shirt this morning. (laughs) 
And I heard Matt saying, please don't do that. Please, please, please. That you, there's other ways. That makes me uncomfortable. Well, that, yeah, we make us all uncomfortable. Praise the Lord. Um, but Jesus, it might have made the disciples uncomfortable. I mean, here's their master. Here's their Lord. And he, he makes himself vulnerable to them. He takes off his outer garment. He puts a towel around his waist, and he begins to wash their feet. And I can just imagine just that whole world sense of the masters don't do this. Leaders don't do this. Those people do this. Those slaves, those people that you command, but not the leader. And the, the disciples' mind must have just been running circles. That's why Peter says, you'll never wash me. I'll wash all of They didn't know what to do with this. Gotta love Peter, don't you? He was passionate in any direction. He just said, the guy had passion for Jesus. And I think the Lord would ask me, but ask you this morning, what job is too lowly for you? When do you hear your heart saying, I don't do those things? That one's, that's for somebody else. Now, of course, we have to delegate. Of course, we need teamwork. I get it. But when, when does your heart say, I don't do that? I remember on a mission trip over in Spain with Dominicans, and the job they gave, they said, we're here to serve. And they said, well, we really need these floors mopped. We bought a new building, and we need all these floors of this big building cleared. And one of our leaders said, I don't do floors. I, have, I did not fly to Spain to do floors. I have, we have maids in my house. I, you're not respectful of my culture. I don't do floors. Fortunately, we had good leaders that said, uh, yes, you do. <laughs> it was probably the most important part of this trip is you mopping this floor. <laughs> DTS outreaches, they're wonderful. They get down to core issues in our heart. What job is too lowly for you and why? Christ calls us to do what he did, to wash feet. And I don't think we get lost with, we need to get basins out here this morning and wash everybody's feet. I don't know that that's the point. I think the point is that Christ calls us to serve. And you can almost feel these disciples squirming as he was going around the table I bet he just took time ministering to them, maybe massaging their feet, praying over them. And they must have been going, oh, this is just, this is great, this is horrible, this is uncomfortable. Why is he washing my feet? I should have washed his feet. I, the, the challenges of trying to figure, my feet stink, they're dirty, they're not pretty. All those things must have been going through their mind. I can hear them thinking back to teachings as the Holy Spirit would reveal it. I think of the scripture, they could hear Jesus saying, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great one, ones exercise authority over them. Notice they're over them. But it shall not be so among you. I want to pause just in that in a moment. I want to just declare that for us as a church. It shall not be so among you. I think the Lord wants to speak that to us this morning and say, 
It shall not be so among you. Let's not be those leaders that somehow have adopted the the viewpoint of leadership of the world. But may we have the leadership and the heart of service of the gospel that would say, God, don't let that attitude be in me. Father, make me those among those who would have a heart to serve. Jesus continues, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus dries off the last of these dirty, stinky feet, including the feet of Judas. Just note that for a moment. He knew he was about to be betrayed, and yet he bent down and washed the feet of the man who was about to betray him. And then he takes his seat and he drives home his sermon point. He's just preached his sermon without many words, washed all these feet, and then he says, I want to make sure you get it. I, you can't miss this point. You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. I've given you an example. He says it again. You should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant's not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus commands you to serve. So let that drop in. Jesus commands you to serve. To look outside of yourself and intentionally say, Lord, help me to serve others. It's one of Christ's commands that we're called to obey. And you say, well, what if I don't feel like it? I don't want to be hypocritical. Well, folks, first of all, we know that we don't live by our feelings, right? It's not bad to say, I don't feel like it. That's a good thing. That makes you look and say, okay, that's how I feel. Jesus... Forgive me. Jesus, help me. Jesus, change me. Help me to become the man, the woman, the disciple that you'd have me be. And so I'd say if you don't feel like it, serve anyway. And start small. Start small. You don't have to go, you don't have to go like world peace or, you know, clean water for all the nations of the world. I mean, that's great. But start somewhere small. I was thinking this week of a uh, talking to one of the guys at church, and he just talked about how driving by a ball field and the ball went over the fence, and all these forlorn kids went up to the fence. They went their ball during recess, you know. And he just stopped the car, got the ball, and threw it back over the fence. Not a big deal, right? Probably took two minutes of his life, but these kids, he was hero. It's like, you rock, man, yeah, they got their ball back. I thought, you know, that's just a good heart that says, you're in the middle, you got your agenda, but there's an opportunity to serve. And I would say that when you serve other people, he probably was happy all day long. He served some kids, made their day on the ball field, but there's a joy when we can give our lives away. 
You may say, well, really, what if my heart's not in it? Well, I'd say start by opening your heart, opening that heart part to the Lord. Say, Jesus, my heart's not in it. You may need to repent of selfishness. Repentance is good. Repentance means change. And I have a dare for you this morning. I dare you to ask God to change your heart in this area. Just say, God, I don't think of other people very much. I don't really like to serve. I like people serving me. Anybody ever felt that? Come on. Okay, am I the only one up here that... Okay, we honestly, we, our greatest battle of life is not all these things that come against it. It's our own selfishness. We want life our way. We want people to think our way. We want things to serve us. And God says, no, I've called you to serve. If you pray a prayer, something like this, God, give me more of your heart for the lost for the hurting, for the broken. Open my eyes to the poor, near and far. To the fatherless, to those who need a substitute dad or a mother. If you show me the need, Lord, and open a door, I'll walk through it in Jesus' name. I dare you. Because tomorrow there'll be a ball bouncing down the street beside your car. When you're in a hurry and you'll go, Oh, I better stop. I could bless those kids. Or, you know, we just had a neighbor. There's a neighbor who lived next door. I won't go into detail, but she's in a rehab center. And while she's there, the family appropriately sold their home and it put her in a different category. She, her life was in a mess and she's being discharged and she had no place to go. And she's got... Serious medical problems. She's in a wheelchair. She's, she cannot, and they're discharging her to nowhere. This was two days ago. And one of our neighbor ladies, there was no family stepping up in this, and one of our neighbor ladies just went after this, just went down there and found the authorities and went on the phone and called this and found the loan for, and I mean, it was a major complicated thing. And yesterday she moved into a beautiful apartment. And she had the provision, and she was there. And I said, I mean, this is two neighbors in Minnesota, and just late, and she said, God opened these doors, and God did this, and God was so great. And I go, he is, and he was, and yes, you're right, but good on you. You stood into the, you stepped into the gap, and you have made a difference serving a neighbor. She served in the name of Jesus. So I dare you to pray that. And you say, well, where do I serve? How about your family? It's a great place to start. Start with those near you. So Mother Teresa says, start with those closest to you. So to the youth today, here's my challenge. Surprise your parents and after a meal say, oh, that's okay, I'll do the dishes. They'll say, who are you and what have you done with my children? <laughs> I dare you. And someone's pointing at their, yes, I see that, yeah. That's right. You did. Um, for your family, it's a great place to learn to serve. And you know, I, as I say this, I'm not preaching to a church that doesn't serve. This is a church that serves and serves and serves. But God continues to challenge us in these areas. How about your friends? 
No greater love has man than he lays down his life for his friends. You know, we always like to think that someone puts a gun to your head, you know, but that's not what, that doesn't normally happen. It's laying down your life. It's giving a buddy a ride. It's picking up the tab for somebody at a restaurant. It's, you know, I, um, I got permission to share this story. Brady didn't share this Friday night, but Brady lives in a house with my son, Nate. And I love this man. And one of the reasons I love this man is my son, Nate, who you, many of you know, and he's a great young man, 24 years old. This last year has been really hard for him. Life's going well, but he, he coming off the mission field and the culture shock and living in L.A. And, and some things went south and he was just walking through a really dark time. And I just wanted to get on an airplane and fly out there and just go hang out with my son. But I couldn't. It just wasn't, the Lord wasn't telling me that. And he was walking through a dark season. And you know who stepped up was Brady. Brady just walked into his room one day and Nate was just in a bad place. And he says, you know what? You got to get out of this room. Get some clothes on. We're going out to eat. Took him out to eat said, you're not even eating well. Went out to the grocery store, bought him a bunch of good healthy food, filled his fridge full of food, spent a couple hours talking, listening, praying, counseling my son, and it made a real difference in Nate's life. And you want to get to a daddy's heart, you go love my boy. Any parent would say that, right? I mean, you're nice to me, praise the Lord, love you, brother, but you, 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 you minister to my children in a time of need goes down deep. He was a real friend. It says friends are made for times of adversity. It doesn't mean friends should be causing the adversity. But they are there for each other in times of need. And Brady was a friend that served my son in a time of need. And praise the Lord, Nate's doing great today. God's met him, taken him through, and he's doing great. How about serving your enemy? You want to say something you don't feel like? Serve people you don't like. That are, are, that's a tough one. Because you don't want to serve people. You want to do them harm in your flesh. Not in Jesus. Hallelujah. <laughs> you know, but in... How about serving? There's, there's a lady in the DR. And I, I love this lady and her attitude. Because she's a powerhouse, there are some people that don't like her. Because she's always moving. She's always changing the world, and some people are threatened by that. And when people have been angry at her, she says, you know, they don't like me, but I'm going to win them over. I'm just, so she's just sending them love notes, or she's brought, taking them out to lunch. Or she's, and sometimes people are like, you know, I don't really want, but she's like, I'm going to love them to a point where they just can't reject me anymore. Thought, wow, I like that attitude. Instead of Knocking them down, she's just going to show the love of Jesus to those who have been opposed to her. Love your enemy. And then lastly, love those who are in need. Love the poor. Look for those to love who cannot repay you. Look to those who, like I think of the ministry of In Love, Word, and Deed. Uh, Terry and Sarah lead that up. It's a great ministry. You guys are doing a bang-up job with that. Well done, guys. Woo! And they aren't doing it to be, have any applause. They're behind-the-scenes kind of people that just 
Join them in a, in a Saturday feeding. You can, you can serve a sandwich. Reach out and you get out. And you know, when you do it, they really can't pay you back. They don't have the ability. Maybe they would like to, but they can't. And that's an opportunity to say, let me help just love people in the name of Jesus. And Jesus closes with this statement at the very end, blessed are you if you do this. You want that abundant life? Serve. You want that abundant life? Look for ways to give your life away. Blessed are you if you do that. It's not just a one-way street. As you bless, you get filled up. As you give, you find that joy in life that we so desperately want and need. Not when you're looking for, how do I get joy? How do I get... It's as you give your life away, then the Lord just pours that in. Blessed are you when you do this, when you serve others. I want to close in prayer. So you can clear away your notes for a moment. I just want to let just minister to us this morning as we close. Father, we open our hands just on our lap. Just open your hands and say, Lord, I pray, God, that you would fill us. Father, that you would change our hearts. Help us not to be those who are saying, what about me? But saying, God, how can you use me? Father, I pray for eyes that would be open and hearts that would be desirous to serve the world around us. And God, my prayer right now is that you would speak to individual hearts. That God, you would speak to us and you would give us something practical. Give us, put a person or a task or something, put that before us. It says, I want you to do this. I want you to serve your family in this way. I want you to reach out to a neighbor. I want you to show kindness to that guy at work. I want you to go after someone that you have odds with and serve them in Jesus' name. Father, speak that to our hearts. And Lord, I thank you that when we serve the least of these, when we serve anyone in your name, really, Jesus, we're serving you. You give us that joy that whatever service we do, Lord, we're really not just serving that person, but we get the joy of, of doing service to you who has done such incredible sacrificial service to each and every one of us. Father, we don't want a to-do list. We don't want something else to weigh us down. God, I ask that you would work in the depths of our hearts. You'd open our spiritual eyes and that, God, you'd give us the joy in serving people that you love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Guests, if you're here this morning, you're new to us today, I'd love to meet you at the Welcome Center there on the left. If you need someone to pray for you,